Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the nation's number one show for you as a family caregiver. We're so glad that you are with us. How are you doing? How are you holding up? I ask that because if the caregiver is in distress, how does the caregiving look? If the caregiver is not healthy, how well does the caregiving go? If the caregiver is broke, how well can you serve as a caregiver? Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. But where does it all start? Does it start by us having an influx of cash so that we can go off and pay all our bills and we can pay somebody to help take care of our loved one and everything is settled and everything's good and then we're going to be happy? Is that the way it works? Not from the footage I've seen. I know people who have very little, who do this extraordinarily well and maintain and actually live a very calm and joyful life. And I know people who have a great deal of money and were so tort with anxiety and stress and worry and fear and guilt that they couldn't function. There's got to be more. And that's what this program explores. How do we go to that place of more? And what is more? What does it look like? Where is it? What is it? How do we apply it? And I am convinced after a lifetime of this, and now I'm in my 36th year now as a caregiver for a medical nightmare that is relentless. 83 surgeries, hundreds of doctors, 13, 14 hospitals. I'm starting to lose count now. Millions of dollars in medical bills. And all this has been going on since Reagan was president. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've stood in hospital corridors late at night or watching them take Gracie to surgery, standing there by myself, feeling alone, feeling afraid. And that's what I want to spend some time with today, talking about fear, talking about that, that deep anxiety and, and gripping fear that seems to just rip our hearts apart. You've often heard me, those of you who listen to the show regularly, have heard me talk about the fog of caregivers, fear, obligation, guilt. This is where we find ourselves at any given day. We don't know how to think. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. We don't know what safety even looks like. Fear, obligation, and guilt, that fog of caregivers. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about obligation. Today, I'm going to talk about fear. Are you afraid? If you are, you're in good company because that's the human condition. Want me to prove it? Look at your scripture. What commandment is given more than any other commandment in scripture? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Fear not. That is mentioned more times than any other commandment in scripture. We are told to not be afraid. Why do you suppose that is? Because we are all dealing with fear on some level. And we have to master that fear and make better choices, better decisions, sometimes harder decisions, but do it in the face of fear. Now, 
I'm going to, here's a quote. I'm, listen to this. Listen to what this person said here, and then I'm going to give you, tell you who it is. I have learned over the years that when one's mind is made up, this diminishes fear, knowing what must be done does away with fear. Resolve. We're going to face it. We're going to master it. We're going to deal with it. You know who said that? Rosa Parks. I have learned over the years that when one's mind is made up, this diminishes fear. Knowing what must be done does away with fear. And as a caregiver, you will find yourself rushing to action to do what must be done, even though you may be afraid, but you're going to conquer that fear because you are resolved to know what needs to be done. It's got to be done. And yet we still have to return back to those dark moments of fear. Late at night, when we're alone, when we're walking to a... I've talked to more caregivers who resonate with the, the, the breakdown in the hospital parking lot. You've dealt with the unimaginable in the hospital. And then you go to your car, and that's when you collapse. But what I am finding is, is that the fear component of what we deal with is actually prohibiting us from stepping into the place where comfort can come. See, Jesus never said, blessed are those who fear. He said, don't be afraid. Told his disciples that many times, don't be afraid. God says it through all the scripture, don't be afraid. But what did he say? Blessed are those who mourn. And fear blocks us from mourning. Fear blocks grief. I'm convinced of this. It is hard to grieve when you're torqued with fear and you're pushing back with rage. Because that's a lot of times how we react with fear is with either dismay or despair or rage. Because that rage makes us feel powerful. Fear makes us feel vulnerable. But when we're willing to face it and see it for what it is and recognize it, that we have the perspective of God's provision in this. Through Scripture, by faith, and the love that He provides, we can face that fear. And then we're free to mourn. But some of us don't want to mourn. It is anguish to mourn. It is, it is heart-rending to mourn. We don't want to mourn. We somehow want to, if we don't mourn it, then we don't have to say goodbye to it. If we don't mourn it or grieve over it, then we don't have to bury it. And we live in that perpetual state of agitation over this. But what are we grieving over? What are we mourning over? What are we saying goodbye to? What are we bearing? Sometimes we are at a funeral. Sometimes we are at a gravesite. But sometimes we're bearing our own preconceived ideas of how this should be. Sometimes we're saying goodbye to what we want it to be. And that's so painful that we'll do anything to not have to go there. And that's where fear comes in. I can't go there. I don't want to go there. It's going to destroy me. The grief is going to be too much. It's going to break my, break my heart. It's going to break me. And yet, the antithesis is what's promised to us. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I have noticed, just as an observation, that fearful people, by and large, don't mourn. They may dismay, they may despair, and they may wail, but they don't mourn. Mourning is something very different. Mourning is an acceptance of what it is and facing it, reconciling myself to it, doing what needs to be done. That's what Rosa Parks said. I have learned over the years that one's mind, that when one's mind is made up, this diminishes fear, knowing what must be done does away with fear. This is an extraordinary change of thought processes that we as caregivers have the opportunity to go through. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to unpack this in the next block. But I wanted to just introduce that concept to you right now about fear. We have legitimate, frightening things in our lives as caregivers. And if you do it long enough, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of us have faced horrific things in our journey. And it is paralyzing. How do we face this fear, confront it, and resolve ourselves to doing what we know must be done and conquering that fear. We're going to talk about that some more. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll be right back. Back in 07, my father passed away. My mother had passed away seven years earlier and they left me a small inheritance and I wanted to give back to AFA for all they have done for me. Carol talks about her experience with the AFA Foundation. I am an avid listener to AFR, 12 hours a day, and I hear Dan Celia talking about the charitable gift annuity. I liked what the uh, gift annuity offered, donated a certain amount, and from that, I get a check every month, which is retirement income for me. If you'd like to support the work of the AFA and receive a fixed income for life, a charitable gift annuity from the AFA Foundation may just be what you're looking for. Learn more by contacting the Foundation at 800-326-4543, extension 345. Hi, I'm John Sorensen, president of Evangelism Explosion, and this is Share Life Today on American Family Radio. Every testimony is important. For some of us, we came to have a relationship with Christ later in life. We have a clear before and after story about when Jesus came into our heart. But did you know this is not the only testimony that God uses? If you grew up knowing Jesus from a very young age, your story matters too. Your testimony is full of power because you have a lifetime of stories to share about the benefits of having a relationship with Jesus. For instance, Sarah recently wrote one of the perhaps many God stories that she has on whatsmystory.org. She wrote that she asked Jesus to come into her heart at a very young age and grew up in a family that openly loved God. As she's gotten older, her relationship with Christ has grown significantly. Now Sarah realizes that her faith is not just another life lesson taught by her parents, but actually is what gives her true purpose in life. Learn more at sharelife.today.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. I am Peter Rosenberger, bringing you more than 35 years of experience to help you stay strong and healthy as you take care of someone who is not. If you want to be a part of the program, go out to hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. You'll see a form there. You can fill out a question, comment, whatever's on your heart or mind. Send it. it goes to me. And I'll be glad to, to respond to it on the program if you want. I'll try to do it otherwise uh, through email or call you from the program if you want us to do that as well. Whatever's on your heart and mind, how can we help you deal with the challenges you're dealing with so that you are in a much better place? Again, healthy caregivers make better caregivers. And the thing that starts the path of healthiness is recognizing that you don't have to do this all by yourself. Friends don't let friends caregive alone. Hope for the caregiver. We're talking about fear. Fear has torment, Scripture says, and fear blocks us from accepting what really is. It is what it is, and we can grieve over it. We can mourn over it, but we can't do that if we're tortured by fear. And I want to spend a little time on this program to talk about that and, and to give you some things to hang on to in the moment of that fear. It's not enough to say, okay, I'm not going to be afraid. No, no, that's not how it works. We're, we're going to have to recall to mind. we got to retrain our mind to do this. And please, never, ever, ever think for one moment that I own all of this. I am on this same journey with you. I have to do these same things. I have to remind myself of this every single day. As caregivers, we live with daunting tasks and challenges and heartbreaking realities. And we don't want to have to deal with those things. They frighten us. And I get that. But in order for us to navigate through this healthier, we're going to have to face certain hard realities. And um, Clara Barton said this, who, you know, founder of the Red Cross. She said, I may be compelled to face danger, but never fear it. And while our soldiers can stand and fight, I can stand and feed and nurse them. Recognizing that we have, we have something to do, and we're going to have to dig deep to stand and face this and accept it for what it is. So I'm going to go over to the caregiver keyboard. It's been a while, but I'm going to go over to the caregiver keyboard, and I'm going to give you a hymn that helps me remember this. And it's a hymn that has stood for, I don't know, 500 years, you know, and I, you'll know the tune. But listen to this hymn. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood. Of mortal ills prevailing, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. 
and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. So Luther, when he wrote this, is saying that, you know what, there's things out there to fear. It's, there's something out there that is troubling. But then he goes on in verse 2, he says, Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name. From age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. Look at verse 3. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not, uh, here it is, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. And then the last verse, he says, that word, one little word shall fail him, that word above all earthly powers. No thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gift are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. There are hymns of great comfort and joy and all kinds of stuff that you can find, but this hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, that's one of those spine-stiffening hymns that you say with resolute conviction, not in your own strength, okay? Not in your own confidence, but in the confidence of He who guides you through this. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. If we try to do this on our own, we're never going to do this. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Do you ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Now, what does that mean to us as a caregiver? How does that equip us? How does that sustain us? How does that help us to understand that there is something greater going on, that we do not walk into those hospital rooms by ourselves? We do not walk into those rehab centers by ourselves. We do not walk into that bedroom where someone lays and in, in, they're dying, and we're not doing that by ourselves. We're not taking that phone call in the middle of the night by ourselves. We're not having to perform these tasks that we do as caregivers. From changing wounds, dressing wounds, changing adult diapers, whatever. We don't have to do that by ourselves. It seems that way at times. And that loneliness is what feeds that. Loneliness is the fuel for fear. And it feeds those dark thoughts. And into those dark thoughts, we have to march with confidence. And maybe it's not you coming up with the confidence. Maybe you're just willing to say, you know what? I'm going to borrow someone else's confidence. Recently, it was just last week, 
uh, it was the anniversary of the death of Thomas Cranmer. And Thomas Cranmer was forced to recant his beliefs, and then he recanted from his recanting, and then they put him to death by fire. And he stuck his hand into the fire first because he wanted to burn the hand that signed that document that recanted his faith. Under great pressure, he had recanted, but then he repented of his recanting, and they killed him for it. But before they did, he, he stuck his own hand in the fire. And when you sing a hymn like this in the midst of whatever, in the middle of the night, you may sound like, it, it may sound like your voice is really timid and really small. When I played it here on the keyboard, you know, it's, it's just one keyboard. It's not the full orchestra that I've heard it with, with a hundred voice choir. But let me tell you that when you sing this, you have the full-throated chorus behind you of all of heaven that stands with you in this. A mighty fortress is our God. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. And, and Luther admits in this thing that we have a dark foe that seeks to assail us. And where's that battle? Where's that assailing going on? It's going on in our minds. It's going on with fear. Ask me how I know this. Because I fought this battle. I would never dream to tell you. I, I look at some of these other people who go out and they, they accomplish things. And they say, okay, we've done it now. We're going to tell you how to do what we've done and, and they're so successful, and I think, I'll, I'll never be able to, I can't do that. You know, I look at these money guys and all that. They're all very wealthy. You know. I'm not that guy. I'm just a caregiver. Still am one. And this is how I get through the day, is to remind myself of these things. My journey as a caregiver continues. I don't have seven steps to being a healthy, wealthy caregiver. I'm just saying, this is how I have to live. And I have to remind myself of these hymns. I have to remind myself of these scriptures and borrow the courage of countless others who've gone on before me and have been willing to stick their hand in the fire, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Trust Him in the most horrific things. I borrow their courage. And scripture says in Hebrews that there's a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering me on. So when we sing this, however timid we sound, however weak our voice sounds in those night watches, when we sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, there is a great cloud of witnesses that is singing with you. Please understand that. They are cheering you on as you do this. Something extraordinary is happening in the heavenlies. And it doesn't take away the sting of what this does to us, it doesn't necessarily remove us from, the, from all the circumstances. But remember what I said about this hymn. This is one of those spine-stiffening hymns. This one straightens us up. This one increases our resolve. Just saying it with your mouth, confessing it out. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. 
It's an extraordinary hymn written by an extraordinary man during an extraordinary time that applies to you and me right now, right here as caregivers. None of this is easy for us, but there is resolve, there is resolution, there is conviction that will strengthen us for the journey and equip us to do this. And that is the message of hope for the caregiver. That is the hope for the caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. Airing the Addisons. Sherry B and J Mac are on tap to help us navigate the show. Well, the great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to Brad in Arkansas. Hi, Brad. Good afternoon. I enjoy your show as always. Applying scripture to life. You can talk about anything that we have discussed this week or maybe something that you want to bring to our attention. If we don't know about it, we're just going to tell you we don't know about it. You know, and then you'll just have to, you know, judge me. I'm sorry. Harry <laughs> the Addisons. Weekdays at 2 Central on American Family Radio. Hi, this is Pastor Robert Morris. I'm often asked, how do I grow in my relationship with the Lord? How do I hear God? What is God's plan and purpose for me? I want to personally invite you to join me on Sunday mornings right here on AFR for worship and the Word, and we will discover the answer to these questions together. We'll explore the truths found in God's Word that will help you strengthen your faith and develop a more intimate relationship with Him. This is Don Shank with today's global update from the Tide Ministry, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ worldwide in the languages people were born to speak. After 39 years in Zimbabwe, the Tide Ministry is seeking even more ways to spread the gospel throughout the region. We are excited and encouraged to see our global partners embracing our vision and seeking God's guidance in how to fulfill that vision in the context of their own ministry structures and goals. Some of the goals that Amakuku Evangeli is aiming towards over the next 10 years may seem very ambitious, but anything that God has inspired is achievable through faith and cooperative participation between His adopted children who have significant resources and those who have great need. To learn more about the Tide Ministry partnership with Amakuku Evangeli and how we plan to share the good news of Christ with even more Zimbabweans in their own language, visit thetide.org. That's thetide.org. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. If you want some more information, hopeforthecaregiver.com. I want to pivot a little bit from what we talked about in the last segment and introduce somebody to you who I believe has some great insights for those caring for aging parents. She was a care manager at a hospital for many years, and something prompted her to change. She saw a great need. She wanted to meet that need, and that's exactly what she's doing now. She's also a social worker, and she brings a lengthy history of experience in dealing with this issue that is really challenging for a lot of family members. She hails in from Wisconsin, where I believe that she has a steady diet of cheese and dairy products. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can't be lactose intolerant and live in Wisconsin, can you? Is that right, Jody? <laughs> that is correct, that's, Peter. Well, this is Jody K. Benusa, and she is a wonderful lady. I've it just ignored the lactose intolerant comment. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, Wisconsin is known for their wonderful dairy products. It's a great state, and I'm glad to have you with us, Jody. 
I'm going to call you Jody K because that's what you like to be called. And, and you said that people vacillate between Jody and Jody K, but I'm going to go with Jody K because I'm from the South and double names are all the rage in the South. And my wife's name is Gracie, but her real name is Mary Grace. And you can always tell when her parents were upset with her, she, they call her by her full name. So is that what happened with you? Did they get upset with you and call you by your full name? Well, sometimes they did, but I got to tell you, I like Jody K because when I think of that name, all the great things that happened in my life. I remember hearing Jody Kay. Well, so associated with good me. memories. Yes. All the bad things I hear in my life are associated with, hey, you. Uh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. So you were a care manager at a hospital. You did this for many years and you saw a need. Actually, you saw a challenge. You saw a problem and it, it troubled you a little bit. What was the problem? Sure. So I was a hospital discharge planner um, in an ortho unit in a neuro um, surgery unit. I saw lots of traumas. Um, I helped um, the elderly, those that had hip fractures, strokes, um, major accidents, brain injuries, that sort of thing. And I really just became frustrated with um, the hospital regulations, Medicare rules. I was not able to help my patients the way they needed and deserved to be helped. Can you give me an example? Sure. So when you're working with insurance, um, the, there is always a hurriedness. There's always an urgency to get them discharged from the hospital. We weren't really allowed to stop, take a breath, kind of explore options in the situation. We were to get our patients out to please Medicare, to get paid by insurance companies. And it was just a hurried, rushed system that drove me nuts. You know, in fact, this morning, actually just this morning, I was thinking, what was I doing a year ago? And I was walking to work and I remember how angry I was, how frustrated I was and how helpless I felt because I was going into that building again, not being able to serve my patients the way they needed. Mm. Well, I've, I've been a recipient of those kinds of things. And I remember Gracie was in ICU and the, um, they, they started calling about trying to transfer her out and get her into rehab and this and that. And she's less than a week out of surgery and still in ICU. And I looked at him, I said, Hey boys, y'all are, y'all are a little over your skis here. And yes. she's going to, she's going to move at the speed she's going to move at. And we'll just uh, wait and see. And they put so much pressure on me. And, and I kind of wonder how do, I mean, and I can handle that sort of thing. I can deal with it. I've been doing this a long time, but I kind of wonder how folks deal with it who haven't been dealing with it a long time. And I think that's what you jumped into the fray to help do because people are, they're just mowed over by this. Right. <clears throat> right. I would go above and beyond. I would work harder than my colleagues just because I would make sure to get in that room as soon as they were transferred to me from critical care to start explaining the whole process and really trying to be in that room as much as I could answering questions and helping them cope and learning even how to maneuver the healthcare system that they were thrown into all of a sudden. Mm. What are some, um, what are some potential quicksand places that you want to help people avoid when they find themselves in this situation, say that their mother broke her hip, uh, had a fall, you know, all those kinds of things, or, you know, dislocated shoulder, 
rotator cuff, all those kinds of things that you, you dealt with and you know how traumatic those things can be. When the family finds themselves in this, what are some, what are some traps that you would like to help them avoid and how can they avoid them? Sure. So when you're, when you're in the inpatient hospital side, it is going to be important for you to be able to cope with the, the stresses that, that happen. Um, you don't know how to maneuver this. So when you know that you're going into the hospital for a traumatic reason, a hip fracture, dislocated shoulder, a stroke, any of that, always know that you are going to be asked right away about your discharge plan. Um, that is that even, even in the emergency room, even before surgery, they're going to probably start asking you what your discharge plan is. So have that mindset going in knowing that 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 is going to be the case. The quicksand that I think that I can maybe help, maybe you think through a little bit is be, use your voice, use your voice when you are in that hospital. Don't allow that hospital um, worker to um, tell you where you're gonna go. Um, they, They shouldn't be doing that anyway, but just really use your voice, express what you want and, and, do the best you can in communicating openly. Um, have other people there with you so everyone can be sure that you're all on the same page. A lot of people don't know what the vocabulary looks like in this. They don't know the words to use. There are certain phrases that you can use and, and can commit to memories to help you navigate through these things. What, what's something that people can say? They can write down as they listen to this program now, Sure. Say, okay, I'm going to remember this phrase. Sure, sure. So let's see. A couple of things that you should remember is um, I, I'm really going to advocate and, and say that you really want to speak to your social worker. You want to hear options. You want to hear what, and here's, here's, a, here's a catchphrase that you're probably going to hear, what sniff do you want to be discharged to? A sniff is spelled S-N-F. And that stands for skilled nursing facility. Okay. Skilled so, nursing facility, a sniff. That's a okay. terrible acronym, but you it know is. what? <laughs> I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you go with it on that. <laughs> That's what you're gonna hear. Which sniff can I make referrals to? So um, here's something that was really kind of disheartening to me is I had patients that really did not want to go to any skilled nursing facility for rehab. They um, may be up with one person, a one person assist, you know, maybe they had that person at home, but because the hospital is so desperate in getting the patients out and they need to be, they need their beds. I understand that, that situation too, that if, if that patient be could be given another day, another four days, um, just recuperating, they could make it home okay. And that was really frustrating to me. Well, and it, it, I, I share that because I've been there and I, I understand that. I, um, I look at the things that people deal with in this, and I know that they are a little bit overwhelmed because the system is extremely intimidating when you've never been there. Getting involved, if you see your parents aging and you know some things are coming down the pike, what's the best way to find a social worker in their area who can do what you do? Or do you, can you work across the, the country or how does that work? 
Um, so yes, I can work across the country. What someone could do, and this can be a little bit time consuming, and that's why you need to start the process early. Yeah, yeah um, don't wait to do it in the emergency room. No, no. <laughs> the longer you wait, the, the harder it is. But you can reach out to your local county here in Wisconsin. We call it the ADRC, the Aging and Disability Resource Center. That is a good spot to start. Um, however, I will say that if you do have some assets, if you have some money and you don't qualify for medical assistance, it's going to be a little bit harder to reach out to the Aging and Disability Resource Centers out there. Um, they will help, but it's just a little bit slower. So I would highly suggest just um, reaching out, maybe even calling your primary care physician and ask for the clinic social worker. That would be a good place to start as well. I think that's, that is probably the, the best place to start, isn't it? That, it sounds, that just sounds like it'd be a good place where everybody knows their primary care doctor saying, hey, look, while you're there, let's get a referral and let's not wait until a fall happens or something bad happens. I understand that. And, and I look back at the times with me and I, I just didn't have that. And I was kind of left to forage for myself. And that's why I'm always looking for people who can bring some insights. Last, uh, in just about a minute or so, one last tip or thought you have to help people navigate this a little smoother. Sure. I think it is absolutely just one of the most important things is have that discussion with your elderly loved one today about what your goals of your, your goals are, your life goals. Have it now before the crisis hits so you are on the same page. So when that, if, if for some reason a hip fracture does happen, you're going to know. You're already going to have a plan in place. You're going to know the wishes and desires of that one, and you can help them um, recover faster and get to where they need to be in a more pleasant way. Yeah, yeah I, there, I, there, There's going to be some waves and some rocks in this particular river that we're going down, but they don't <laughs> have to capsize us. And, and I love Correct. what you're talking about. Just let's start now. Let's have that conversation. If people want to get in touch with you, mm -hmm. what's the best way to do that? Sure. I would love to, to speak to anyone. Um, easiest way is going to be to visit my website, Midwest Geriatric Consulting Services.com. And you can click through and I have um, a contact me link and I would okay. be more than happy to get in touch with you. And I'll put this on the podcast, Midwest Geriatric Consulting Services. That's a long title, .com, but it's spelled just like it sounds, Midwest Geriatric Consulting Services .com. This is Jody K. Benusa. And Jody K., I really do appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. I, I look, I, I've been overwhelmed by these things, and now I kind of push back because I kind of walk in there and, and I, you know, I tell them I'm board certified in cranial proctology. And they look at me kind of funny and write it down and keep going. <laughs> and I don't bother <laughs> to explain it. Uh, but for people getting there for the first time, this can be daunting. And you have provided some, some good counsel and a friendly voice and some resources that people can go up to your website. So it's MidwestGeriatricConsultingServices.com. Jody K. Benusa. Jody K., thank you very much for being a part of the program. Thank you so much, Peter. My pleasure. All right. We'll see you. In just a moment, don't go away. Hope for the caregiver. Peter Rosenberger. He's been a caregiver since the Cold War. Hey, this is Peter Rosenberger. Have you ever helped somebody walk for the first time? 
I've had that privilege many times through our organization, Standing with Hope. When my wife, Gracie, gave up both of her legs following this horrible wreck that she had as a teenager, and she tried to save them for years, and it just wouldn't work out, and finally she relinquished them and thought, wow, this is it. I mean, I don't have any legs anymore. What can God do with that? And then she had this vision for using prosthetic limbs as a means of sharing the gospel, to put legs on her fellow amputees. And that's what we've been doing now since 2005 with Standing With Hope. We work in the West African country of Ghana, and you can be a part of that through supplies, through supporting team members, through supporting the work that we're doing over there. You could designate a limb. There's all kinds of ways that you could be a part of giving the gift that keeps on walking at standingwithhope.com. Would you take a moment to go out to standingwithhope.com and see how you can give they go walking and leaping and praising God. You can be a part of that at standingwithhope.com. A Moment of Truth with Gary Bryden of the Association of Independent Methodists. One day, George Washington decided to take a walk. He stopped to watch some of his men work on building a breastwork. A corporal was directing. Three times his men tried to get the last heavy log in place. General Washington went over and helped the men put the log in place. Washington turned to the corporal and asked why he didn't help his men. Not recognizing Washington, he said, Don't you see that I'm a corporal? Washington replied, Well, I'm only the commander-in-chief. Next time you have a log too heavy for your men, call me. Jesus said, Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. The Association of Independent Methodists, like-minded congregations doing together what can't be done separately. Visit aim2020.com. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. We're so glad that you're with us. That is my wife. And I just, uh, if you'll indulge me for a moment, I just wanted to listen to her sing. uh, And I do love that voice. We're talking about fear today. And here she is singing a song, My Life is in Your Hands. Do we believe that? And I I appreciate our guests on the last segment here. I wanted to have Jody Kay on to talk about just some of the practical things that we deal with as caregivers and what we can do about it so we don't get in these situations where we're just operating in a blind panic. And there's some good tips there. Just go ahead and start this process. Talk to your primary care doctor to refer you to the social worker that they use. And those are things you can do today. So when you get into a high-stress moment, you're not freaking out. And that's, that's how we do it as caregivers. We don't wait until everything's falling apart and then we start screaming for help. That's a little bit late. It makes it a little bit hard to, to get help in those situations. So let's start now and let's operate in confidence knowing that we can do this, okay? We can do this. I foraged and floundered around for a lifetime, but I learned some things over that process to offer to you, and you don't have to do that. You don't have to forage and flounder around. You can glean from the journeys of others, and so please take advantage of that. Let me touch base with some of the things we talked about in the first two blocks when it comes to fear and 
why I feel like as believers, we have such an amazing opportunity that we often overlook, and it requires that mind shift. We don't have to think the way that we've been conditioned to do so, certainly by the world. Marcus Cicero said, true nobility is exempt from fear. Okay? True nobility is exempt from fear. Now, that was not necessarily said from a scriptural standpoint, but I think he spoke great words on that for us to be able to understand. Just like Balaam, uh, when he prophesied, wasn't necessarily pro-Israel in his own personal belief, but when he prophesied, it came out uh, as very, very telling. And and even um, Caiaphas, when he was saying about Jesus, it's better that one man die than the entire nation. Well, he was prophesying then. So God uses all types of individuals to communicate great truths, and one of those is true nobility is exempt from fear. Now, why does that apply to us as caregivers? Well, listen to this in 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. You're a royal priesthood. As a believer, you are a royal priesthood. True nobility is exempt from fear. If you are in Christ, you will understand increasingly that you're exempt from fear because you're in Christ. And He is already there ahead of you in all of these things. And you can trust Him with this. This is how these individuals made it through some of the darkest times is because they ran to this Jesus that we're talking about. And what does this look like? Now, here in Romans 8, 17, Paul said the same thing. you got to remember, both Peter and Paul were executed for their faith. They were executed because they chose to link themselves with Christ. And yet they wrote these words. Peter said, uh, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Paul said, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. True nobility is exempt from fear. You are a royal priesthood. You are a joint heir with Christ. You don't have to be in bondage to fear. I know that we get that way. And let's be honest, we're probably going to struggle with that for the rest of our life. But this is what it means to override that fear, to to face it down and remind yourself of these things, to speak these things to you and be around other people who are going to affirm the same thing. So when you are in those dark and lonely places, you go back to 1 Peter 2.9. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You go back to Romans 8.17. Now, if we're your children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Even when things look bleak. Now, the context I'm saying to you, all these things to you and to myself is 35 years of watching suffering. As I've watched my wife struggle with mightily with terrible things, these scriptures are no less valid because of her suffering. In fact, well, actually, I, her suffering doesn't have any impact on those scriptures. 
But those scriptures have a great deal of impact on how she views her suffering. Those scriptures have a great deal of impact on how I view her suffering. And so this is about retraining our brains to deal with these things. And then it gives us that calmness to be able to act on it with the the logistics that we heard in the last block where we talk about, okay, here's something we can do. But if you're so panicked, if you're so tort about all the drama that's going on around you, even the simple things like calling a social worker seem just over the top. And you, you can't, you don't even ask the right questions because you don't know because you're just so, so upset about things. Calm yourself down. Write down some questions that you want to ask your doctor. You want to ask your, your mom's doctor, your, your loved one's doctor, your dad's doctor. Some things that you want to ask a social worker, write those things down. And as you write them down, remember, true nobility is exempt from fear. You don't have to be afraid. However bleak this looks, there is a greater story going on, and that calms us down. Now, we will grieve over this. Make no mistake about that. We will grieve, and we will mourn. But what does Scripture say about that? We don't grieve as those who have no hope. And he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What I found is that fear fuels our rage. Loneliness fuels fear. Fear fuels rage. And rage turned inward is despair. And, and so that fear of, of all the unknowns overrides our good sense. But when we are walking into the unknown with a known Savior, it helps tamp down those fears and push them back and realize we don't have to be in bondage to that. And this is our journey as caregivers. Now, you're not going to hear anybody else talking about this when it comes to the caregiving world like I do, but I am convinced this is how the battle is won. Because it doesn't matter how much money or this or whatever you throw at things, if your heart is a train wreck, if your mind is a dumpster fire, you're going to make lousy decisions. And even if you happen to stumble onto a good decision, you're not a good decision, you're not going to even be able to walk in it because you're going to be so torqued about other things. And so what I'm asking you to do is just take a a little bit of a step of faith and say, you know what? I've tried it this way for so long. Maybe what Peter's saying has some validity to it. Calm yourself down. Remind yourself who you are. Remind yourself who he is. And even as you walk into that hospital room, even as this special needs child is seems like he's uncontrollable, even if they come home and you've got a child that's going through all kinds of stuff, they're dealing with gender issues or whatever, whatever comes your way, you are prepared to respond, not react, respond to it. You are not held hostage or in bondage by other people's dysfunction, disease, or disappointing behavior. You may have a a son or a daughter who's an addict. 
or a kid who is, who is dealing with all kinds of bipolar issues or whatever. You may have all kinds of things going on in your life. You can respond to this. It is not easy. And anybody that tells you that it is easy, they'll lie about other things because it's not. But it is possible. And you can walk more calmly in this. It may not happen for a while. It's going to take a lot of work on your part and mine. I can sit down at the piano and play pretty much anything I want to play now. I just happen to not want to play Mozart right now <laughs> and Chopin because they're really hard. But I could play pretty much anything I want to play. But I have to work at certain things. Certain things are going to come a lot easier to me. And certain things are going to be difficult. It, you don't just start off at the top of your game. It's called discipline. It's called working. There is no silver bullet. There's no magic bullet for this. And anybody that wants to grasp onto that, they're, they're asking the wrong questions. This is just life. And it's not, you know, there's, there's no bad life or good life. It's just life. How do you want to deal with this? How do you want to respond to this? Do you want to be in a constant state of turmoil? Or would you like to be able to navigate this a little smoother and a little more confidently? You can. Because he says if we're children, then we're heirs. And we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That's who you are. That's what Scripture says you are if you're in Christ. How about we act on that? That is hope for the caregiver. That confidence that we as caregivers can walk a little calmer, a little healthier, and dare I say it, a little more joyfully as we care for someone who is struggling with some type of chronic impairment. Hope for the Caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. Go out and see all the resources we have. This is Peter Rosenberg, and we'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.